Welcome today to everybody who's here. I am Nick. I am one of the elders here at SOMA. It's such a pleasure to be with you. If you're new to SOMA, what we are about is really simple. We love Jesus, and Jesus loved us first, and we live our lives in family through that understanding. And it's a glorious thing to be able to do that in the great times and in the really difficult times. And so as a family, we do life together, and we welcome you if this is the first time you've joined us or if you're thinking about joining us. We welcome you, and we look forward to building a relationship with you. And certainly if you have additional questions about who we are, feel free to ask me or one of the other elders here or our uh, national leader, Paul Dean, who is one of our national leaders for the Soma Network. Just for the benefit of all those that are new, if you're if you're uh, an elder here or Paul, who's our national leader, could you put up your hand so that people have awareness of who you are? Great. Thank you. As you can see, there's many great brothers that I serve alongside with and am blessed for that. All right. Let's have a good time today. Uh, do you have my slides back there? All right. If you could go to the what is a disciple slide, that'd be perfect. Okay. Thank you very much. So, um, one of the overall, writing, overall principles that we're trying to really lean into here at SOMA that's just so important is that we're all followers of Jesus. And as members of Jesus' family, we're in different places in terms of our walk with him. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it, to share that experience together? Some of us have been doing this for years and years and years. And we're, by the way, still growing, even though we've been doing it for years and years and years. And some have just started their journey in the family of Jesus. And that's beautiful, too. And we do this all together. And Jesus is our leader. He's our king. He's our Lord. And we are the disciples following him. And so we want to proclaim this at the beginning of every Sunday service because it's important to recognize where we are at in the kingdom and to understand and recognize our dependence upon Jesus and his family. And we do this together. We do our walk together, and we give each other a lot of grace as we do it because that's the only way it really works. And I pray that we're all a bright light to our community as we move forward in our discipleship with Jesus. Today, we're going to extend our conversation about Romans. So we're in the book of Romans right now. What a beautiful letter. Paul just crafts a letter that it's pretty obvious it doesn't come from a human. This is divinely written, and Paul happens to be the one that receives the divine revelation. He lays out the gospel so well, and he takes us through that journey in such a provocative way. As we've gotten to this point, we're in chapter 5, and we're going to go verses 12 through 21 today. As we've gotten to this point, the Apostle Paul has taken us through a journey that's made us hurt a little bit for some and a lot for others, right? He's proclaimed our need, and that need can be painful. We all have that need because we're all broken. We have what's called sin, which separates us from God, and there's only one way back to our Lord, and that's through our Lord himself. And so as Paul progresses us through the, that journey we get to that point where he starts to proclaim the gospel, and he proclaims it so clearly in chapter 5. And today we're going to be at a part in that gospel where Paul does this thing, and I'm, a, I'm in sales, by the way, in, in which I make my money uh, and take care of my family. And what we do in sales lots of times is we give an idea, we tickle the intellect with an idea, and then we share a use case. It's like, well, we've got a client. And the client was in a similar position as you. And this is what they did. And this was the positive outcome that happened as a result of them becoming one of our clients. Well, Paul is brilliant. Paul does the same thing. He takes us through the process of showing pain. 
he takes us through the process of telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And now, at this point in the gospel, he's going to give that use case. He's going to give that contrast of Adam and Jesus and how they're so different. And he's going to make it very personal. And so we're going to lean into that today. And the big idea that we're going to go through is the idea of grace. And I'm going to do a little bit of an experiment today with y'all to see if you're willing to participate with me in this sermon experience because sometimes people don't always understand what grace is, but we want to give you a living example so that you can hold on to it tightly and really take that forward. So just to set the stage a little bit, grace is different than mercy. I'll give you a definition of mercy and then we're going to show you what grace is. So mercy is not receiving something you deserve. It's not receiving something that you deserve. For instance, if you break a law and you deserve to be disciplined, but the police officer or the judge decides for whatever reason that you're going to receive mercy. This thing that you deserve to receive, I'm not going to give to you. So you're let off and you walk away going, whew, I didn't deserve that ticket, and I was definitely speeding. I was very kind to that officer to take mercy upon me. Okay? So that's, that's mercy. Grace is a, is a different thing and just as beautiful in God's kingdom. So we're going to do a little fun today. I'm going to have my, uh, my beautiful helpmate, Colleen, come up. She's going to play the role of Vanna in this particular, this particular experience because I think there's the only way to really understand grace well is to experience it, right? You have to experience it. And so I can't do this without volunteers. I need some volunteers, and I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen right now, but I need three people that are willing to put their hands up right now. Come on, come on. Okay, we got one, we got two, and we got three. Okay. I love that it's all Eves who are coming up. What is, what's up, all you Adams? We got three eaves. This is, this is beautiful. Right. What do you have for us, Vanna? Well, I, first of all, we would like to know your name. Julia. Julia. May I introduce ah, you to Nick? Julia, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for coming up today and being part of the family. Jen. Jen. I'd like to introduce you to Nick. Jen, it's a pleasure to meet you today as well. Thank you for joining our family today. Shannon. Shannon. I'd like to introduce you to Nick. Hi, Shannon. It's a pleasure to meet you. I... I am so glad to meet each one of you through my lovely wife, Colleen. What a pleasure this is. I didn't know you well before, but now I do, and I'm so grateful for that. What do you have in your hands? A gift. What is inside the gift? I'm so curious what my helpmate has given to you. Okay. Can we open them? Uh-oh. Yes, you may open them. Mm. Money. There's money in there. Well, it's not a lot of money. It's only $10. But you didn't do anything to earn it, did you? Nope. Okay. So it was just given to you as a gift. And, <laughs> and there is a message behind this. There's $10 in there. And I think that there's something in the Bible, this parable of talents, where you're asked to go out and share beautiful things with other people when beautiful things have been shared with you that you didn't earn, Right and to expand that idea of sharing with others. Would you be willing to go out and, and give somebody something that they don't deserve and take that forward? Yeah. 
That would be wonderful. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that, my new sister, Julia. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> thank you, Vanna. All right. That was a lot of fun. And I appreciate, I appreciate all of you who just participated in that experience. And um, I want all you Adams out there to pay attention to the fact that those Eves stepped up quickly and uh, got, in the, got, in the, got in the midst of something that they didn't know what they were really getting into. Because this might apply to you more than you think, Adams. Let's read this piece of Scripture and see what God has in store for us. Okay, we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Please open your Bibles or your Bible apps if you've got them, and we're going to read this together. By the way, this is an eye chart. Here's the deal. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles or have your Bibles on your apps. Or if you don't, what I would encourage you to do is just close your eyes and listen to the Word of God spoken because the Word of God is medicine, and it's designed to go in through our ears and come to our hearts and change our lives. That is the way it's designed. And when you read Genesis, you can see how God created the world. It was through the spoken word. So God's word spoken is incredibly powerful. So we don't actually need to use our eyes at this moment if we don't want to. We can just close them and listen and let this sweet medication come into our hearts. So please join me as we read the word of God. The book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin And God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. 
Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. Let's quickly pray over this word that it would enter our hearts. Heavenly Father, we ask that this word would come deeply into us. We confess openly to you, God, that our hearts are originally made of stone. We are made of the things of this earth like Adam, Lord, of the dust. And to the dust we shall return if it's not for you. And we proclaim, Lord, that you are the one that gives eternal life. You are the one that makes us new. You are the one that enters us and turns our hearts from stone to hearts of flesh. You are the one that converts us into your living image. It is through your Holy Spirit that we are sustained, that we know who you are, that we're able to execute against all the things that you ask us to do as members of your family. And we ask, God, that you would bless us today. Would we be made more and more into the living image of your son, Jesus, and less and less as the image of Adam? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, who's your father? I think we've lost. There we go. It's it's an important question. Before we unpack this, we need to go to the core of what's really happening and what will occur, and it's family business. This is not about a transactional relationship that we just decide to be part of or not. This is not about signing a contract and fulfilling the obligations of a contract because there's nothing that we could do to earn this. This is family business. It's that intimate. It's that deep. It's that transformational. You'll see up here that I have provoked you with a question. Who's your father? And I think it's really important that you have an answer for that question right now in this moment before you authentically proceed through the rest of this sermon because the gravitational importance of that is the most important thing, the most important decision you'll ever face in your life. We, give, we have freedom from the Lord to make all sorts of decisions, but the biggest decision that we are given freedom to make is whether or not we will follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There is no more important decision than that one in our entire life, and that is the excellence of the freedom that God gives us to make that decision. God proclaims through his word and the apostle John in 8, 44 through 45, and these are the Pharisees talking to Jesus right now, that they are, in fact, children of Satan. That's his proclamation. The outtake of that takes you to other references in the Bible that leads you to understand that unless you follow Jesus Christ, you are Not just a follower of the devil, but you are of the family of Satan. And that is a hard word to say and a hard word to receive, isn't it? That hurts. That's painful. The idea that you would be the member of the house of Satan is a horrific thought. And it should, in fact, be a horrific thought in your mind. It should take you to that place of ghastliness, of horribleness of absolute bitterness. It is where you should go when that understanding enters you. And if you're new to this message and you're provoked right now, my statement to you is good. 
the Holy Spirit has you here for a reason today, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is God wishes, desires to recover you and to bring you back into his family. And it's not just as an adopted person. It's as a completely remade new person. You can see John 3, 3 here referenced here, which is to be born again. You must be born again, made new. Made new in the image of God to enter the family of the Lord. And God desires us greatly for you. The invitation is out for all of us. This is the grace that we receive when God's good news comes to us. And that invitation is for all of us to receive, to be made new, to be extracted from the family of Satan and given into the family of God, to have our very DNA to the core reconstructed, to be made of the things of the stars and not the things of this earth. And when I say stars, I mean the heavenly realm, the things of heaven. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says that God is our Father, that we are daughters and sons of his family. And what a beautiful thing that is to be members of a family. It's our deepest desire, isn't it? To be an intimate member of a family, to be known, to be part of a great family, to bear the name of that family. It's a beautiful thing for that to occur. And God invites us to that. Proclaim that and hold on to it. Where Adam failed, Jesus Christ has been victorious. Please go to the next slide. Adam was given one thing to do, and that was to not to do something. God gave him, you have free authority to govern this place, except for one thing. Don't eat from that tree over there. That's the only thing that I ask that you not do. But everything else, you can eat from it, you can plant it, you can replant it. All these animals are under your command and control. Just don't do that one thing. Just please obey me on that one thing. And there's probably a lot of backstory that we don't have insight to, and I would love to ask God about, hey, what was Adam doing all this time? And what did this authority really look like? But I can only imagine it was much greater than the authority that any of us have ever possessed or could ever imagine possessing. I mean, he was given the power to name the creation, right? And naming is a powerful thing because when you name, you have some level of authority over that that's significant. That naming actually influences that thing by which you've named. A bear becomes a bear because you named it a bear. That's a pretty powerful thing. And God tells Adam, just don't do this. He tells Adam that, by the way. He doesn't tell Eve that. He tells Adam, and it's Adam's responsibility to tell Eve. And then we get to this scene where we've got this snake who's Satan, and this snake, Satan, is going to tempt Adam through Eve to do the one thing that God told him not to do. Now, there's differences between temptations and testing. So a test, and it's important to understand this because comparing Adam with Christ is critical to understand this. Testing is that which God has us walk through to build, reinforce, strengthen our relationship with God to form us into a greater image of who God is. So we're image bearers. Genesis says that we are the the imago dea, the image bearers of God, that we bear God's image, that it's it's our primary duty to do that, to reflect back, reflect back to God, God's holiness in worship. That is our 
biggest duty as part of creation, our biggest part of why we were created. And Adam decides, well, I'm going to experiment with this a little bit. And he goes over to Satan, and it's got, he's got one test, right? Don't do this. And that test is designed to make him grow. And Satan decides, well, I'm going to enter God's test and create a temptation. Satan does this all the time. Satan is looking for ways to derail you and take you to a place that doesn't allow you to grow into the greater image of who God is. Satan doesn't want you to be an image bearer. Satan says, no, I don't want you to be an image bearer. I want you to be a fallen image. I want you to be in my image. And so Adam goes and puts Eve up in this situation. Guys, have you ever done this before? Asked your wife to take a lead on something and not protected her? I read this story, and it just makes me buckle in anger. Seriously. I don't want to throw Adam too hard under the bus right now, but he's going to get a little bit of it, all right, because he deserves it. Um, This snake, Satan, is telling Eve, his wife, to do the the very thing that God told him not to do, and Adam had already told Eve what the deal was because she projects it back to Satan, says, hey, I was told not to eat from this thing. Like, it's going to be bad for me. It's not going to work out well. I'm going to die. And Satan says, really? Did God really say that? And so he starts to He starts to diminish her trust in the Lord. And Adam's sitting there watching this. And he doesn't do one of three things that he should have done. Shame on him. Really. He really frustrates me. I mean, I would, in in that situation, I'd be like, what the heck, man? You're You're trying to soil my wife? Boom. I would have gotten after him. I mean, it's just my personality. It's just the way it is. Um, but he doesn't do any of that. He silently stands there. He, doesn't, he does not intercept Satan and go, hey, bud, this is not going to happen. I'm in charge of the garden, not you, and grab that snake by the neck and squeeze him really hard because I bet he was powerful enough to do it. He doesn't do any of that, nor does he grab Eve and go, sweetheart, we're not going to listen to this snake we're out of here, and pull her away and give the snake the hand. He doesn't, do any, he doesn't do that either. Those are two great options. He should have done one of the two. But he, he doesn't even do the third one, which is the greatest one, which is to crawl out, call out to God, who is, his, who is his father in the garden, and say, Lord, you told me not to eat from this thing, and this creature is trying to get us to do it. Come help. Come help us. Like, come down and with your great power, intercede and dismiss this creature. And he doesn't do any of those three things. And the outcome of his behavior opens the door to what we know and understand today as sin. And the ultimate outcome of that is our absolute destruction that leads to death. And not just the kind of death in which this body dies, but the kind of death in which our soul dies. Complete and eternal separation from God for all eternity. That's what was purchased in that moment. Praise God for Jesus Christ. I mean, we have no way out of this difficult situation because we have been buried deeply in the ground from which we were made except for God coming to recover us. We see many, many years later, 2,000 years ago, 
God come on a rescue mission to bring us home. And there's one scene that I really want to point to, and then the second scene, which we have to be aware of before we go to implications, and that is the second Adam, Jesus Christ, getting the opportunity, no, not just the opportunity, being compelled by the Spirit to stand in that same spot that Adam stood in in the desert and handle the same challenges that Adam was given the opportunity to challenge, to, to, to face, and failed. And this Jesus Christ has broken the family lineage of Adam. This Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior, came to earth through a woman, as the Scriptures predicted, under the power of the Holy Spirit. So Mary has a baby, Jesus, and Mary's made pregnant by the Spirit. The line of Adam is severed. There is no human male that makes her pregnant. The line of Adam is severed. Through woman, salvation comes to the world, and the line of Adam is, sev- is severed by the Spirit, bringing Jesus into the world. And it's through the power of the Spirit that Jesus does the thing that he is called to do as an image bearer. He comes to this world as a humble baby with absolutely no human strength that you would regard as divine because he's left his divinity behind. And he comes to do the thing that Adam was asked to do. And he is filled by the Spirit at the age of 30 in his baptism in the Jordan River as a living example for us because we have been given that same opportunity to live life in the Spirit, right? And Adam, our true representative, or Jesus, our true representative, is going to overcome where Adam failed. He is going to be filled by the Spirit, driven into the desert, and tempted and tested for 40 days and 40 nights. In fact, the Bible says that the Spirit compels him or even drives him into the desert based on the, the different version that you read. And Jesus goes out, and the Scriptures say he's tested in every way imaginable. And there's three tests that the Scriptures specifically call out for our understanding, but we need to know and understand that he was tempted in every way possible. The three tests are sustenance, safety, and worship. So when we think about how Satan comes to us so often to try to derail us, it's through these lenses most commonly. He's going to come and go, you have physical needs, and I will provide them for you in that low, evil, gravelly whisper. You need to be fed. You need water. You need these basic needs. And Jesus says to him, all these things are gifts from the Father, and I rely upon him and depend upon him for these things. You cannot provide these things. And if it's his will that I don't receive them right now, it's his will. Satan's like, dang, that was a miss. All right. Well, and I'm going to reverse the order a little bit. I know that safety is an important thing for human beings, and so why don't you call your angels in, and I'm going to take you up to the top of the temple, and if you step off this temple as a human, you're going to be, your body's going to be shattered. And Jesus says, no, don't test the Lord your God. Don't, don't do that. I'm not, even though Jesus has the power to call a legion of angels to his side to protect him, he says, no, don't test the Lord your God that way. Don't do that. 
I'm not going to do that either. Satan's like, dang, that's a miss too. The coup de grace, which actually stands in the middle of these two things, and the reason why Satan booked in, book-ended them is an interesting thought, but I don't want to spend too much time on that. Satan actually goes after Jesus with the very same temptation that he went after Adam with, which is if you'll bow down to me, I will give you all of these things you see before you, and he shows all of the wonderful kingdoms of heaven, all their power and glory, and Jesus reminds Satan that there is only one God in the universe worth worshiping, and it is the one true God. And Jesus stands in that place where Adam couldn't stand in, and he does the things that Adam couldn't do. He fulfills his image-bearing responsibilities on our behalf. And as he goes through his ministry, you can see the evidence of the fact that he's aligned with God because of the miracles that he performs. But then the greatest test comes at the end, doesn't it? For those of you, know that, for those of you that know the gospel message, his greatest test comes at the end because Jesus is going to go to his death, isn't he? He's going to take upon himself all of the sin, the misbehaviors, the tragedies, the sickness, the murdering, the infidelity. He's going to take it all upon himself and internalize it and literally consume it and put it to death on the cross on our behalf. This is a huge test. He's going to do this not in his divinity but in his humanity. Remember that. He's going to do this in his humanity because he has to as our representation, as our representative, but filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, as he goes through this very difficult moment. And he prays out to God, Lord, if there's a way out, give it to me. I, I will take it, but if it's your will, let it be done. And on our behalf, he goes forth and nails to the cross. All those sins that were imputed to us originally are now imputed to him, and they are gone from us, past, present, and future. And that is worthy of amen, isn't it? Thank you, brother. Those things do not belong to us anymore. We are, they are gone. As far as the east is from the west, they are gone from us. And we know that because Jesus Christ, although put to death on the cross, rose to life three days later. The evidence of his justification in front of the Father is his resurrection. And that evidence is all we need to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will give my life to you, and thank you for rescuing me from this despicable condition and move forward, not any longer as members of the family of Adam, but as members of the family of Jesus Christ, made new completely from the ground up, from the things of heaven and not the things of the earth. We are no longer made of soil, but we are made of starlight. What a beautiful thought that is. And I can't even encompass in the words that I share with you the depth of what has actually happened through the work that Jesus Christ did on our behalf. We will unpack it for an eternity. Every day, God will reveal something new to us regarding this great work, and we will be amazed by it. And we will drop to our knees, and we will say, thank you, Lord. And we will be resurrected people at that moment, perfected, 
And we will still be thanking Lord every day for the new revelations coming to us. A million years from now, something will be revealed about what Jesus Christ did for us, and I will thank him for it. And it'll be fresh, 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 and brand new that day. And I'll be like, I had no idea. Thank you, Lord. Where do we go from here with this great understanding? Because it's so deep. Go ahead and and thank you. I'm going to go through this pretty quick. It's a bit of an eye chart, but it's important that we celebrate this. It's important that we celebrate it. The words that I've shared with you, the encouragements that I've shared with you, are things that we need to take into this world. This idea of grace is not just an idea, it's a gift that's been given with such great abundance that we can't hold on to it. We have to take it everywhere that it needs to be taken, and God creates those opportunities and fills us with the excitement and the passion to go out and share it with others. And it's so important that we do, do, that we do go out and share that. Remember these ideas. You don't have to memorize this list, but remember the concepts that through Adam and his disobedience, which was sin, we were condemned as if a judge was going to send us to jail. Through Jesus Christ and the grace, the free gift that he gave us through obedience to him, we are made right with God, a God who is perfect, all-powerful, and holy. Through the sin of Adam and his disobedience, we were named as breakers of the law, law breakers. I wouldn't want to be arrested by some of the police officers in this church. They have mighty strength. That gives me some level of fear, and that's good. But through Jesus Christ, our great God and Redeemer, and the grace that he provided, we are pardoned, and there is no memory of our breaking of the law. It doesn't even exist. It's gone. It's been completely eradicated from the books anywhere. Through Adam, we lived with shame. The knowledge of that disobedience. Through Jesus Christ, the honor and glory of the kingdom of God has been given to us. We share in God's glory. What a beautiful thought that is. So undeserving. But we are image bearers. And it is our creator who created us to reflect his glory. Let us do that well. The sin of disobedience brought death to us in every way imaginable. Through Jesus Christ and the grace of obedience, we have life eternal. Through the sin of Adam, we saw faithlessness, mistrust in God, the desire to be like God to say, I don't think you're enough. Through Jesus Christ, we are faithful, constantly saying, I rely upon you. I lean into you. By the way, brothers and sisters, for all eternity, we will live a life of faith. God will not disclose everything to us, nor do we have the capacity to understand it. We will be journeying for millions of years in new understanding every day, and that should excite you to live in faith like that, to know that every single day newness will be revealed to you and you can live in the confidence of that faith. Through Adam, the desire was to live independently away from God. Through Christ, we live in dependence. That's an upside-down idea that our world doesn't understand, but it's an idea we need to project to a dying world that we cannot live independently. 
that the life that is fulfilling, the life that is beautiful is a life that is completely dependent upon the Lord. And then how do we respond to this? Well, Adam responded with self-worship. His idea was, I want to be like God rather than worship God. Through Jesus Christ, who has made ourselves right with God, we are put back in the correct role, which is to worship the Lord. We are, we are a creation designed to worship. Did you feel in your heart that desire this morning when we were worshiping the Lord? Did you feel that? I did. I did. I had tears in my eyes just with the knowledge that my king is my king. It doesn't need to be any more complex than that, and he is worthy of worship for that one thing alone, that one reality. And that's a beautiful thought. It should give you great comfort. So how do we respond as a congregation? Here's where it's going to get interesting, brothers and sisters, and we're going to wrap up here, and I'd like to invite the band to come forward and start getting set up as we go through this last slide. God's grace embraced, God's grace, that free gift, embraced by us, held tightly, responds with rejoice in all and every case, right? This is not a quote, because I made it up. That's supposed to be like, I'm supposed to get some. (laughs) There you go. See, for those of you who know me, I'm not very creative, (laughs) to be really honest, um, I'm just not. I follow the rules, and it's like, well, if two plus two is four, I'm just going to keep doing that, so I keep getting four back. (laughs) This is what I do. Um, I wish I was more creative, but I'm not. (laughs) So when this came to my mind, I was kind of like, hey, that's kind of a jingle, and I can't sing at all. Uh, So then I had to give God grace, or give God glory for it. I'm like, Oh, for sure you gave me that, that idea. I didn't think it up myself because I know I'm not capable of doing that. <laughs> I love these moments of confession. <laughs> oh, See, this is a great thing about when you're, uh, when you're broken and you're in family, you can just put it out there, right? You don't have to pretend. And that's just so freeing just to put it out there. We don't have to pretend with each other. And so there's three things I want to encourage you to. The first response to the understanding of God's grace, which is absolutely transformational, is to rejoice. Wow! In every circumstance. Whether you're tested by the Lord, which is going to lead you closer and closer to Jesus Christ and more and more into his image, or whether you're tempted which is by Satan to take you away from that goal. In every single situation, you respond with, rejoicing to the Lord. How disarming is that for Satan? For him to come and tempt you and for you to go, praise Jesus Christ that I'm in the midst of this temptation right now and I can endure it, that there is a way out and Satan, you have no power over me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I proclaim that he is mightier than you. And he is in me, and his Holy Spirit operates in me, and I feel that power in Satan. You have no power over me. And I will worship the Lord in all situations right now. That disarms Satan immediately, and Satan flees when that happens. Because Satan has no response to that at any level. Let us do that, brothers and sisters. What a great witness to this world when we do just that one thing. But let's keep going. We want to proactively invite the Lord's grace to form you into his image. I am not good at receiving gifts. 
It's one of my sinful natures. You know why I'm not good at receiving gifts? Because there's a part of me that has pride, that believes I don't need those gifts. And I want to confess that to you. I want to just put that out there. I wish I was better at it. And I need the Lord to help me get better at it because I know Jesus is standing there going, Nick, I got so many more gifts to give you. But you're resistant. Because you think you can do it on your own. You think you can be like God in certain circumstances. Brother, Nick, my son, you need to stop that. Quit it. I got a lot to give you. All you need to do is take it. And you'll know me more and more. I just want to shower you with gifts. If you would just take them. And brothers and sisters, our church would be so much healthier if we would just take the thing that God wants to give us in the moments that he wants to give it to us. And so many times we say no. And we need to open our hearts up to that. And I'm inspiring you right now. The way you do that is to go to the Lord and go, Lord, I want to confess that my heart has been hard, that I know there's a lot from you that you'd like to give me, and I've been saying no. And I'm going to start saying yes. And, and I even confess further, Lord, that my yes has to be a yes inspired by you. And I need to confess further, Lord, that my heart of stone can't be changed into a heart of flesh unless you do 100% of the work. I can't do any of it. Change my heart to a heart of flesh so that I can receive the free gifts that you want to give me so that I can come closer to you. And then finally, we need to lead with the Lord's grace to others. And this seems like an easy thing to do with our family and friends, doesn't it? Not always, but it's easier. They're family and friends. But our enemies, those that we hate, those that have hurt us, those that despise us, those that are followers of Satan. Can we extend grace to them? Yeah, we can. Not just can, but God is asking us to do that as part of our image-bearing responsibilities. And we're powered by the Holy Spirit to do this. We don't do this on our own. In fact, if we try to, we will fail. The Lord Almighty is inside of us, giving us this great strength to do it. And what would this world look like if we proactively went out and extended grace to those who don't deserve it as Christ did for us, as living examples of who Jesus is to others? I want to take just a couple minutes as the band just plays a little bit in the background and just invite the congregation to speak out. I don't want you to reveal anything that's too personal or could hurt somebody, but speak out if there's something on your heart in a way that we could extend grace to our community and put it out there for others to hear so that they're inspired. I know this is uncomfortable, but confessing openly how we can extend grace to our community inspires each other and invites the Spirit to do the work. And so let's just take a couple minutes and think about this and just speak out. Just speak out. Let me hear your words. How can we extend grace to a community that doesn't deserve it, but that Christ loves so much. How can we do that? Speak out, congregation. Let me hear you. Prayer. Amen. Yes. Extending forgiveness that's unrequested. Mm. 
practicing compassion for others. Amen, sister. Thank you. Listening. Listening with that intent, that holiness. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Ah, taking an active step to move towards those that need Christ. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yes. Being generous. Showing others that we're willing to enter their lives with generosity. Thank you, sister. Yes, love. Love. God is love. Sharing the love of Jesus Christ with others. As we enter this time of worship, I want you to really think about what Jesus has done for you and and embrace that. Let the emotions come over you in the way that God has designed. For some of you, it'll be incredible joy, and that's beautiful. For some of you, it'll be deep contemplation, and that's beautiful. So for some of you, it may be brokenness and tears, and that's beautiful. If you need prayer and encouragement, uh, we've got our elders here at the church. They would love to spend time with you, praying and encouraging you. We're going to celebrate communion together today, and communion is not just something that, that we do. It's, it's the celebration of what Jesus has done for us. These elements here, this wine and this bread, they reflect something really important. They reflect the the life of Jesus Christ, the fulfilling of the law that we could never have fulfilled. They reflect his death on the cross and our sins nailed to it through him. His flesh was torn. His blood was spilt. He did that for you so that your body would be made new with the flesh of heaven, that your blood would be made new with the blood of Christ in you, that we would be bonded for all eternity to the Trinity in the image of Jesus Christ and through him and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what a beautiful thing that is to be able to access the Father who no one has seen but the Son and to be invited into that Holy Trinity. Oh my gosh, I can, I, my humanness doesn't even have answers for it. I can't even describe it. But we celebrate that up here. And I pray that celebration goes deeply into you. I pray that as you share your lives with each other, that you share your lives with this church as your extended family and that what you bring to the table is what God has asked you to bring to the table. And would you be anointed to do that well? Would you be blessed to do that well? I pray that this body grows and fulfills the the mission that Jesus Christ has for us. Let's spend some time worshiping the Lord in song and encouraging others. Thank you for coming today. I pray the grace of Jesus Christ upon you deeply.